Welcome to Get Dumped On, an Info Dump Podcast, or as Zach would say, the Info Dump Podcast. I'm on the, I'm on the the train now. <laughs> <laughs> this is the podcast where four friends get together, learn a little, laugh a little. One of them, one of one of the hosts will dump their special interest knowledge on the other three. So we're all about learning, having fun, and doing stuff. I'm joined here always by Mr. Bo. Oh, my oh, my turn. Hey, I'm well, sorry, I got distracted. It's turn. I was watching <laughs> every single time. <laughs> I was watching football. We try right? to do football. this. It doesn't work. <laughs> also joined here by Ash. Hello. She's also watching football. I'm not watching football. <laughs> if anything, I'm watching baseball. Hey, and Zach. Hi. Today's episode will be hosted by Zach. However, I, I have a, I have a little special treat for you guys. So, uh, I take a little, uh, little detour here at the beginning. I requested them. I asked them if I could do the uh, intro because I, I, I did a little something. I hate it because it, it was my turn. It was my turn. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm excited. Sorry. Yeah, because you love doing the intro. I do. My sphincter do. is clenched in anticipation. So uh, eagle-eared listeners, as Zach would say, might have noticed that there is no intro song in this podcast. You guys obviously didn't notice because we're recording There's it right no now. There's no intro song in this podcast? There's no intro song in this podcast. How do they know it's going to start then without the song? Ash oh. and Zach are super sm- Yeah, that. Now I oh, think they're uh, dumb. A song, you say? Well, if I can direct your attention to the stream. I'm watching the stream. <laughs> so uh, uh, last episode, we talked about music a little bit at the end there. And Bo went really hard defending country music. And I, I, I did not like it. I don't like country. I don't like certain country music. The, the, I would call lowbrow country music. Everything that's just like about beer and trucks and like living in small towns and when clearly the person is a multimillionaire who's never been in a small town in their life uh i got to thinking last night i got home from golf and i said fuck it i made us a little uh, little ditty so this is for <laughs> you guys Every boot, every other boot, 
Because without dumps, let me tell you, we'd be all bricked up inside. Get dumped on, listen to Zach say, oh, send us an email, now you're here. Get your lighters out, bitches, let's go. It's an info Don't forget the beer. Also, Metallica rocks. Woo! Fuck you, Bo! Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Boy, I can't wait to that listen to this. That was phenomenal. <laughs> I'm glad. You're going to keep the whole two minutes and 45 seconds in, right? Oh, yeah. That's okay. The whole thing's oh going. God. That's the intro okay. song Okay, today. perfect. Okay, yeah. good. Um, I can't wait to listen to it in my truck. <laughs> your, your dedication to this podcast continually impresses and amazes. It's way better I'm, than mine. Uh, fantastic so just to fill you in i wrote that in 30 minutes recorded done <laughs> i came home from golf last night and i was like fuck it i'm doing this and 30 minutes later this came out you felt the power of country music i felt the power of lowbrow easy country music so, so. I, th- I think the audience owes me a thank you for giving me that inspiration <laughs> you know spite is well, a very good a motivator <laughs> yeah, so, and Andrew, you're one of the pettiest people that I know. So, so petty. Uh, there we go. This, uh, you know, if petty means this, then you're welcome. If you look at the definition of petty in the dictionary, it's Andrew's face with this guitar. It's me recording this fucking song. <laughs> so yeah, welcome wow. to Kid Tumped On. Uh, after that, I honestly forgot. Zach told me what he was going to do, and I forgot. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the new intro song for this one. Once I'm only one night only. Uh, th- that song is called "Get Yeehawed On." By the way, are you going to release that anywhere? Is that going to get? Uh, we, uh, you can, I can I can upload it. Yeah, I can upload it to Spotify as a single track, and I'll send it to you guys as well, so you can. I feel, I feel it's also like a diss track to me, so I need to come up with my own now at this point. No, I, I would, I, I would love that. Okay. I would love I would that love so much. More. All right, all right. So, so uh, yeah, welcome to episode twenty-six. Zach is going to be hosting today, and re- before he gets started as well, I want to do a quick shout out to some of our listeners. Uh, Justin's sister Chelsea, we know you're an active listener. Hello, we've never met, but whoop, whoop. welcome to the podcast and welcome I, to the family. And I hope I'm your favorite. Uh, Bo hopes that you are the favorite always. Always, <laughs> absolutely. Bo loves being the favorite. Oh, I and, uh, and, uh, the favorite. And some guy named person Dylan. Yeah, yeah. He's Zach's oh, college yeah. friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Shout, shout out, to, out to Zach's friend Dylan. Shout out to my friend Kate. Oh, hi, shout Dylan. out to hi, all hi, of Brooke. All, 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 Brooke. Hey, Brooke. What's Brooke. up? I met you once. You're cool. I miss you. I miss you too. Oh, I, no, I met you once. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say I miss you, so I don't feel left out. Oh, Bo, that's so uh, nice. That's the nicest thing ever. And a big fuck you to Justin. <laughs> <laughs> so fun, fun story about Justin. I actually sent him this track this morning because I was like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And he responded with, "Quote: I'm fucking crying." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, and shout out to all of our listeners worldwide. We have a lot of listeners in Germany, Australia, Czech Republic, Finland, Bulgaria, Canada, Netherlands. Some go through the list. United Kingdom. You sound like you're the, 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 the Animaniacs song, the wacko song, lead to the countries around the world. <laughs> it's all That's awesome. So let's get this shit rolling, Zach. What do you got for us today? Hey, jump on us. So and the other thing is, I was listening to last week's episode again to the Would You Rather's and. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't really think it's that that bad of a thing that Bo doesn't like chocolate. It's kind of similar to my pickle theory of relationships. Um, what? Where, so the the <laughs> the most successful relationships I've found are between somebody who loves pickles and somebody who doesn't like pickles. And so in our relationship, I'm the pickle hater and Ash is the pickle lover. 
And it works out I love pickles. They're so good. It works out great because it means that I don't have to eat any pickles that I don't want to eat. And Ash gets twice as many pickles. So that's like, pickles that tracks, for me. Yeah, that tracks on my end too because Bo hates pickles and I love pickles. And I give Andrew all yeah. my sweet, loady pickles. So if Bo doesn't like chocolate, then that <laughs> just means gherkins. more chocolate Little for me and I'll eat gherkins. all of Bo's chocolate that's, that's given out. Nom, 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 so. nom. Zach likes his chocolate. Nom, 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 nom. Give me chocolate, please. So for this episode, I, um, I'm, I have a two like really high effort episodes kind of in the works right now. Um, but I wanted to spend this episode kind of doing something that's, I don't want to say it's low effort, but it's kind it's of like a country song is what you're saying. And I don't want to say that it's a filler episode because it, it's still a really good one. Uh, um, but uh, effectively what's going to what's then going stop on stop talking stop talking down to it i know and no one's gonna care like you put yeah, extra okay. really put, everyone stopped listening right well, now it's a little like, different I'm not gonna this episode is gonna suck so, apparently so let's not listen to it no everyone, it's not gonna suck it's gonna be great just play the intro it's gonna be great and call, I'll call it an end <laughs> and call it quits <laughs> it's gonna be great um so basically what's going on is everyone knows that we moved and that's why uh we've had some weird episodes lately and while we were moving i found a box that has a bunch of books that are read over and over and over and over and over and over again as a youth because i was the type of kid to read the same book over again instead of talking to anyone else and so this one that i found it's a book that used to be my mom's and if you look you read at old the, lady books i'm just kidding old lady books zach zach's mom you're, you're great if you look at the now detached cover of the book in the inside my mom wrote her name and address which i'm not going to read but uh the important thing is that this is a book that she bought at a, a book fair a scholastic book fair did you know that those were happening in 1973 wow yeah no i'm glad to hear that so my That's mom cool. got it in sixth grade in 1973 uh it is called strange but true 22 amazing stories by david duncan um, they're not all, they're not good old DD, D dunks. They're not all amazing. Like, they're not David all winners. Dunks of Dunkin' Donuts fame. Yeah, exactly. I oh my God. I, I went to his donut store this morning. They're not all winners, but a lot of these stories are great. And they really influenced kind of like the sort of things that I'm interested in today. And so what I wanted 70s? to do. That's yes, nuts. From 1973. And That's so 50 years ago. Oh yeah. yeah right. This is 50 years ago. Holy so we're celebrating. Crap. We're celebrating the 50th anniversary of Strange for Two 22 Amazing Stories by uh, reading some of the chapters. Oh and gosh. so, when was is, it published? Does it say? That's what I'm talking about. It was published in 1973. Yeah, does it have a month? Sometimes they have. March. Ah, a little bit late. Um, so, none of these stories are particularly long. They're all maybe like three to five pages. So, basically, I'm, I'm going to read some of my favorite stories. And then, I, when I was younger and I'd read these, I would just kind of take them all at face value. But what I've done is I've looked into each story to figure out if they're a true story, if they're kind of embellished, if it's just like a classic retelling of like an urban legend or a ghost story. So I'm going to tell the story and then you're going to guess if it's an ooky spooky, if it's big, if true, or if it's for real, for real. Okay. I'm going to write those down because I want to use those exact terms. Yeah. And so, so, the, so ooky spookies. Spooky. Yeah, ooky spookies, big okay. if trues. Big if trues. For real, for real. For real, for real. Got it. And I'm going to go through these in order. And I'm not going to tell you which ones I skip because I'm just going to skip the ones that I don't want to talk about. <laughs> uh, but you didn't have to tell. We wouldn't have known that you were skipping any yeah, you if you have wouldn't lied. have said well, it. Well, because the, the 22 amazing stories is in the title. So at the end of this, you're going to be like, that wasn't 22 stories. You know we can't count. 
<laughs> you also just said it could have said my favorite stories. Yeah, so these are my favorite stories. So I'm going to start off with the floating coffin. Spooky, spooky. I know, all right. <laughs> <laughs> On the morning of August 12th, 1775, the Greenland whale ship Herald was picking her way among the icebergs of the North Atlantic. Suddenly, the lookout bellowed. A ship! A ship! West ahead! On deck, the Herald's captain turned in surprise. Some three miles away, he saw masts poking above an iceberg. Slowly, a three-masted schooner drifted into view. You know, you can interrupt to quip if you guys want to. Her sails hung in tatters. Ice coated her spars and rigging. She glistened in the sun. Captain Warren studied her through his telescope. He saw no signs of life. Veering close, he hailed the strange ship. Silence greeted his shouts. The schooner continued on her seemingly aimless way. Lower the longboat, Captain Warren ordered. I'm going to have a look. His crew were superstitious and had no mind to adventure aboard a ghostly ship. Nevertheless, they obeyed. Smart. Captain Let's Warren cursed. picked eight men and rowed over. Oh, just wait. As oh. the longboat neared the schooner's stern, <laughs> the men made out her name, Octavius. She was Ooh. unknown to them. Sounds like Again, an old stripper. Yeah, or uh, <gasps> Dr. Octopus. Otto oh Octavius. Again, Captain Warren hailed her. Only rotting timbers and the wind and the loose rigging answered him, creaking and whispering. With four of his crew, the captain climbed aboard. The deck was slippery with ice and crusted snow. Seeing no one topside, the boarding party went below. In the crew's quarters, they found 28 men, frozen to death. Each lay in his bunk, heavily bundled in blankets and clothing. The fierce Arctic cold had perfectly preserved their bodies. Next, the investigating crew entered the cabin of the captain, whose body was seated in a chair by a work table. In a cabin behind this one were three more corpses. A woman lay in one bunk, her head resting lifelike on her elbow. The body of a man sat cross-legged on the floor in one corner. His hands held a lady a... on a ship. Psh, okay, that's why. That's why they're all dead. Yeah. His hands held a flint and a piece of steel. Before him was a pile of wood shavings. Death had overtaken him as he had struggled to light a fire. Alongside the man was a sailor's jacket. Captain Warren lifted it. Beneath was the body of a small boy. The men of the Herald had seen enough. They wanted to get off at once. But the yeah, captain get the fuck wanted off to that investigate. ship, bro. Jesus. <laughs> but the captain wanted to investigate further. He managed to inspect a galley, but he found no food there. By then, his men were on the verge of panic and threatening mutiny. Taking the schooner's logbook, Captain Warren reluctantly returned to his ship. He watched the Octavius and her cargo of death drift northward out of sight. She would never Bye. be seen again. See you later. Later, when he retired to his cabin to read the logbook, the captain discovered that all but the first and last pages were missing. The sailor to whom he had entrusted the book had allowed the rest to fall out. The first page <laughs> included the information that Octavius had departed England bound for the China trade on September 10th, 1761, 14 years earlier. The last page had but a single entry. years? It was dated November 11th, 1762, and read, We have now been enclosed in ice 17 days. Our approximate position is longitude 160 west, latitude 75 north. The fire went out yesterday, and our master has been trying to rekindle it, but without success. He has handed the flint and steel to the mate. The master's son died this morning, and his wife says she no longer feels the terrible cold. The rest of us have no relief from the agony. Captain Warren's eyes returned to the words, longitude 160 west, latitude 75 north. The meaning was incredible. On the last day of... On the last entry in the logbook, Octavius had been icebound in the Arctic Ocean north of Point Barrow, Alaska, thousands of miles from where Captain Warren had just boarded her. A continent of ice lay between these two points. What Octavius had negotiated was the legendary Northwest Passage, 
For hundreds of years, sea captains had sought a shorter route between the Atlantic and the Pacific to carry trade between Europe and the Far East. The Northwest Passage was a dream that could eliminate the long voyage around the tip of South America. Apparently, the captains of the Octavius also had decided to try to find the Northwest Passage instead of sailing home to England around South America. He had tried, and like so many before, he had found death instead. But the Octavius had succeeded on her own. Year after year, she had sailed on, her ship's wheel unattended. She had inched eastward through the vast fields of ice, blindly withstanding the fury of the elements, till she finally floated again in the North Atlantic. Not until 1906, 130 years later, did another ship, Gjoa, commanded by Norwegian explorer Roald Amundsen, navigate the Northwest Passage. But Octavius had been first, carrying a captain and crew who had been frozen for 13 years. So what's your read? What do you think? So does Sounds Ookie like Spooky mean Ookie not spooky true? to me. So Ookie Spooky means this is a ghost story. This is like a campfire ghost story. So it's not, so you would say that it's not confirmed. So it would be like, this is just a story that somebody made up. It's just a okay. classic story about ghosts. Big If True is my, is like, this is a legend. There are historical sources talking about it, but there's no like primary source. Okay, and it's okay. just like, it's like a newspaper article citing a newspaper article citing a newspaper article. And like, there's no actual evidence that it happened. And then for real, for real is like, yeah, this is a thing that happened and we know about it. And like, it's a real thing. Uh, I would, ha I want to say ooky spooky. Cause obviously that sucks for those people involved, but I don't know. I'm, I might, I'm going to go with for real, for real. I'm going, uh, I'm going ooky spooky I, for the whole thing. Yeah. Everything, everything, my whole answer from the rest of this podcast is ooky spooky. So be quiet. <laughs> ooky spooky. Uh, ooky spooky. Yeah. Whatever. Ooky spooky. So this is a big if true. We were all wrong. <laughs> this is a big if I true. I was going to say big if true, but I didn't think that a ship could be frozen for that long. Well, so what I mean by a big if true in this scenario is that the, um, this is a, a classic story, but there's no evidence that it actually happened. And it's often um, cited back to a book of like adventure stories from 1905. Um, but recently um, within the past few years, somebody found a newspaper from 1828 with the, that's the, the first known story of this Octavius, but it, there's no like records of the Octavius in like shipping logs or anything like that. And a similar story has been told about another ship called the Jenny and another ship called um, the Gloriana. So it's like, did this happen three times or is it a made up story that somebody has changed the name of the ship each time? Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Like it's like a game of telephone, especially back then when they didn't have telephones. Yeah, exactly. Just little uh, things so, get so mixed like up. A game of uh, carrier pigeon. <laughs> yes, carrier uh, pigeon. <laughs> it's the crow fly. A game of just talking to each other in person. Yeah. Making shit up. Uh, and so the, the, the first, version of the story doesn't mention the Northwest Passage either, just that it was a um, ship lost at sea for 16 years that was then found again. That's cool. I, that The idea is cool of a yeah. ship that got frozen a while ago and then global warming happened. I completely understand why free. this I completely understand why this story would be like coming back over and over again, why people would want to it's one of those, it's the kind of story that you really want to be true, right? Is there, so there's no curse show? Sure. 
no, there's no curse, but like oh. finding a ship full of dead people is scary, right? I mean, if you're going to get cursed by anything, it's that, right? Yeah, that and they've been dead for 14 years. Mm-hmm. So this one's called uh, The Night Thing, the next story. What was it that walked through stone walls, jumped over 18-foot haystacks, and stepped across a river two miles wide? It was Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, it's back. Always comes back to Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> beast, bird, or the devil? To this day, Ooh. no one knows. But it's something a, did what couldn't love be the done. <laughs> and it left its footprints in the towns and villages of Devonshire. Devonshire? Devonshire? Oh, it's an English Bigfoot. In southern England a century ye, uh, ago. Ye, ye large... Toesies. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> on the night of Thursday, February 8th, 1885, snow began to fall over Devonshire a, li- a, little, uh, a little before 8 o'clock. It fell in uninterrupted silence until nearly midnight. At 6 o'clock the next morning, Henry Pilk, a baker in Topsham, stepped from his house. He paused briefly to admire the blanket of snow. Then he noticed a train of footprints across his enclosed yard. The print was U-shaped, as if made by the shoe of a pony or donkey. Henry Pilk frowned. The footprints, or hoofprints, were all in a line, one in front of the other. No man or animal walked like that, as if on a tightrope. Henry Pilk was not a curious fellow. He shrugged, went into his bakehouse, and started his day's labors. An hour later, the whole town was abuzz. Others had discovered the hoofprints. Eagerly, they sought to catch a glimpse of the creature responsible. At the start, it was all great fun, but the longer the trackers followed the single line of prints, the stronger grew their sense of uneasiness. Whatever had visited them during the night possessed extraordinary powers. In places, the hoofprints led right up to garden walls of stone as high as 12 feet. The prints stopped at the base and resumed on the other side as though no wall stood in the way. Could the creature have jumped over? Hardly. The depths of the prints in the snow never changed. Neither did their size, which measured four inches by two and a half inches. And without exception, they were spaced eight inches apart. Moreover, eight, the trail... Eight inches? Eight inches. That's, that's, a, that's small. Yeah, and they that's, were two and a half inches. Uh, they were two and a half inches. Four by two and a half inches. So they were pretty small. Like a deer. Maybe. Moreover, the trail never doubled back, though it led up to every house in town. Why? Was the creature marking the occupants? While the people of Topsham puzzled nervously, the mystery spread and deepened as far south as Totneys. All of these towns sound ridiculous. What is <laughs> England? It, it's a bunch of just like crazy name stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As far south as Totneys. So, uh, real quick, I looked up um, old English words for big and foot. So it would be uh, <laughs> uh, the substantial Tootsie. <laughs> Yes, substantial quite tootsie. a substantial, substantial, substantial tootsie. tootsie. That is a substantial mm. tootsie. Oh. Positively Ooh. gargantuan. The distance between Topsham and Totneys is about 96 miles on a straight line. The snowstorm had ended at midnight. Six hours later, Henry Pilk discovered the tracks. In six hours, what could have moved fast enough on a wandering zigzag course to reach points 96 miles apart? Nothing known in that day or unearthed in this. Prints were found in cemeteries, atop wagons, on beaches and roofs, in woods and marketplaces, and up to and beyond 18-foot haystacks. Prints were tracked to the edge of the Exeter River, where it was two miles wide, and picked up again on the opposite bank. A similar crossing was found a few miles to the south. Everywhere, the horseshoe prints were the same, four inches by two and a half inches, at intervals of eight inches. Nowhere in the snow was there a sign that the creature had rested. Fun and curiosity gave way to uneasiness. Presently, superstition and fear took command. As the snow melted, the tracks blurred. The prince began to resemble a cloven hoof. Who but the devil had a cloven hoof? 
Who but the Goats. devil would peer into the dwellings of God-fearing folk and mark the sinners? If the devil has the devil has goat legs. The, the goats are notoriously uh, peeping toms, and good at jumping, and good at jumping. Women That's and so children true. hid in their homes behind barred doors and shutters. The men oh, fetched their dogs, oh. armed Get with muskets, pistols, <laughs> clubs, and pitchforks. They'd grimly tramped the countryside. Apparently, uh, everyone loves paused. a good pitchfork. <laughs> a pitchfork party. Oh yeah, pitchfork party for sure. They're going after Frankenstein's monster. Apparently, nobody paused to consider how to capture the devil once he was cornered. That difficulty never arose. The night prowler, beast, phantom, or devil passed unseen. Plenty of snow fell in the days that followed, but the tracks never reappeared. For weeks afterward, men went about carrying weapons, and lonely trails were avoided. Clergymen preached about the signs in our mist as warnings from heaven about drinking, swearing, and loose living. The oh, London course. Times and other newspapers carried many columns about the strange hoofprints. Expert opinion sounded like, abounded like wild berries. The prints, it was claimed, were made by giant leaping rats, huge rabbits, birds, <laughs> otters, toads, kangaroos. Richard Owen, a respected naturalist. In did, England? Did, yeah, did those exist in England ever? Yeah, they exist uh, in the zoos. Not like, not like on UK, purpose, but yeah, 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 zoos. Um, this was 18... So, uh, the, yeah, this was the, the 1800s. They had gone to Australia by then. They'd brought back a couple of kangaroos. And Richard Owen uh, is the guy who claimed uh, who coined the term dinosaur. So that's fun, too. Uh, none of the explanations fitted the facts. Thousands of hoofprints in a single line, exactly four inches by two and a half inches, exactly eight inches apart, roaming tirelessly in absolute silence at uncanny speed over and through every obstacle. The men and women who struggled with this mystery are gone, but the questions linger. Where had the night thing come from? Where was it going? And when would it walk again? Where did it come from? Where bum, did it bum, go? Where bum. did it come from? England. Devil. <laughs> <laughs> all right. This, guy, this has ooky spooky written all over it's it. It's getting big oop and spooky energy. Ooky spooky. Yeah. Too good to be 100%. true. Whatever the other one was. Is that it? That was one of them? It encourages people big if true. to big live. If true, yeah. It encourages people to live. Like, you know, don't roam. Don't be out at night doing yeah. crazy shit. This sounds like a story. Don't sin because it's the devil. That's okay. Why does that always happen? Whenever, whenever there's an unnamed thing that is scary to people, the first thing that back in the day they would say it's oh, it's because you're sinning. There, there was never a real explanation. It was always because of loose, uh, loose women and dudes gambling cards and general debauchery is the uh, reason. It's because of Protestantism. Like that, uh, that doesn't make it. Like there's a there's a footprint over there. Ah, oh, that's because you're sinning. Like that makes no mm -hmm. goddamn sense. <laughs> makes perfect sense. What are you talking about? Don't sin, or don't, else the devil's gonna get sin, you. Don't sin, or else the the devil that's kangaroo the devil is over coming there, for and you. And he's gonna come and get you. He's gonna put you in his pouch of evil. He's gonna smell your sins. <laughs> <laughs> the devil's always sniffing. So this is for real, for real. No. Yeah. Um, well, no. these are, this is for real, for real. In as much as anything from so the 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 least true thing about this is that it was in 1855, but the books is 1885. But we have writings like letters that were written on like February 13th, like five days after it happened, um, telling the newspapers like those have survived. The drawings of the hoofprints are around. So like, are is the hoofprint like made by the devil? I don't know. There's been no consensus on what made the foot made the the hoof prints um but it's true i have a theory now there is there is one thing that you have a hypothesis the, I have a hypothesis <laughs> the um spacing the spacing and the size of the hoof prints varies more it, it's not 
as uniform as this says that it is. But everything else about it, as far as I can tell, is true. And I found a paper by a guy named Mike Dash who compiled all of the sources for this. I didn't read the whole thing because it's 84 pages long. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. I, I have a hypothesis. Tell me. Just like the Bigfoot thing where the guy was walking around with the big wooden feet in his backpack, just stomping away. The, he actually drew inspiration from this incident when it was a, a bunch of carnival acrobatic people who went around as fast as humanly possible, jumping up and down things with little tiny wooden cloven hooves. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and it was the best prank in history for 90 miles. <laughs> well, wow. I still think that maybe the first explanation to it, which isn't mentioned in this, but um, what I, one thing I saw is that an escaped monkey from a... Uh, <laughs> From the, the circus. Was making little hoof prints? I don't know, man. But it seems like something a monkey would do. Monkeys yeah, are, they're, 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 little, they're little, little scamps, you know? Mon- monkeys are did notorious they, they... for monkeying around. It's true. <laughs> did did <laughs> they force it to wear, like, little shoes? <laughs> it's got little, it's... <laughs> it, it, then, um... The monkey they thought died. it was like a they thought it was a kangaroo. They're like, here's this kangaroo. It's like, Wah! and they're like, that's not a uh, whatever. <laughs> the sure. the the monkey keeper at the local zoo died, and they found a bunch of little hoof monkey sized hoof shoes under his bed or whatever. Yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely, hundred percent. Yeah, Confirmed. yeah, yeah. He was known to be ranting and raving about people stealing his huckleberries. Oh my god! Oh, it's always <laughs> fucking huckleberries, man. It's always the fucking huckleberries. It's always Did you the huckleberries. see the pictures of the footprint sack? Oh yeah, pretty cool. What do you now, think? Now, as someone who who like you like animals and shit, and Ash knows a lot Studied about animals. Zooarchaeology. Yeah, mm-hmm. do, can you can you make a hypothesis of what you think it was? Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I like he's. I, I agree. <laughs> all right definitely monkeys 100 um it could also be like uh a prank and then another um on, on one of the other theories that i read that i really liked is that it could have been um there was a guy who was experimenting with balloons at the time and uh had like tools dangling from the the balloons or like just ropes dangling from the balloons and it could be that he released these balloons and then they um, as they were like coming down dragging to the ground, the ground. They, like, yeah, like the ropes were like dragging and bouncing along the ground, making little divots in the snow. Little exact same divots. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, man. I'm on. I'm on the monkey train now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all kinds of different. Like, I don't know. It could be anything. Uh, it could be UFOs. Who knows? Confirmed. What if it's just a tiny horse, not a mini horse? A tiny horse. A tiny horse that, like, it's tiny enough to where it can scale building. Because, you know, obviously, big horses can't because they're too big. But a tiny horse, gravity's, you know, not against it as much. So it could be just, you know, horsing around. Walks right up the wall. We got monkeying around. We got horsing around. We got (laughs) kangarooing around. It's fucking wild. It's fucking wild. No matter, yeah, regardless of what Uh, it is. I think it was the devil. (laughs) I mean, it was definitely the devil, right? Yar. Yar. Okay, next one is called The Girl on the Train. The Girl from on the Train. Hey, can, I, can I try to guess what it is before you say it? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, it's about a girl on a train Holy who shit. 
says that she's like a guy comes up to her and he's like hey what's up I'm like you're a girl on a train i'm a guy on a train let's do this and she's like sure i'll totally call you and that she never does all right let's see if you're right awakening okay. from his nap the american painter gerard hale saw a girl seated opposite him when he dozed off he had been alone in the compartment of the speeding french train hale was more pleased than surprised by his companion she was lovely and yet her face was fixed in brooding pause, sadness pause 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 Bo, what does a French train sound like when it goes? Wee wee. So this dude wakes up and this chick's sitting near him. Yeah, got it. The artist was charmed. And she's beautiful, but brooding. She beautiful. struck up a conversation. She's she's brutal. Brutal. Mm. To his delight, the girl quickly turned to the subject of painting. Although they had never met, she knew quite a bit about his work. Suddenly, she asked an He's odd like question. He's like covered in paint and holding an easel. He's like, how'd you know? <laughs> Could, she asked an odd question. Could he paint from memory the portrait of a person he had only seen once? For example, could you paint me from memory? She asked, sitting down beside him. Yes, replied Hale with conviction. But I'd rather paint you from life. The train Whoa. slowed Confidence. to a halt. That's, oh, a, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a really good pickup line. Yeah, he's hitting on her. 100% hitting on her. And that, that, that's working. That's a great line. The train, like, that's smooth. Yeah. The train like, have you seen Titanic? It's like it hasn't come out yet, but have you seen <laughs> <laughs> The girl got off. We shall meet once more, she said in parting. Yes, yeah, she did. <laughs> the stop was 10 miles farther on. He had been working in Paris when he had been commissioned to do a portrait of a French woman at her home on the Loire River. It was 1928. Oh. Upon reaching his destination, Hale was graciously received. He changed his clothes and made his way downstairs for dinner. In the hall, he encountered the girl with whom he'd spoken on the train. She greeted him with a brilliant smile. I promised we should meet once more, she said. Hale marveled at how quickly she had arrived at the house. Tell me how you did it, he said, laughing. I should like to travel the same way. Said, I'm you from the future. For... <laughs> <laughs> you suddenly really realized some stuff about yourself. <laughs> For a fleeting moment, the smile slipped from the girl's lips. That would be impossible, she said softly and hurried away. During dinner with his host and his hostess, the woman whose portrait he had been commissioned to paint, Hale offhandedly remarked about the girl. His host stiffened. I have no idea whom you met, he said forcefully. There is no young woman in this house. My wife and I are not expecting one. Seeing his host's peculiar reaction, Hale switched the talk to other things. But the topic was reopened at the coffee table. Hale was asked to make a sketch of the girl's face and was supplied with pencil and paper. Hale settled himself and began to draw. The pencil seemed to guide his hand as it reproduced an exact likeness of the girl. He was putting the finishing touches to the sketch when his hostess fainted and slipped from her chair to the floor. Fainted. After she had been revived, her husband stared gravely at, our, at the drawing. It is our daughter whom you met on the train and in the hall, he said somberly to Hale. The sketch you made from memory could be of no one else. He picked up the paper and carefully tore it into pieces. Jesus, that's a lot of work. She died many years ago. This guy is speaking all over it. She's a ghost. That bathroom's been closed for 30 years. I hate when that you, you know, boy meets girl, girl commissions painting from boy, girl turns out to be a ghost. I, the tale is all this time. <laughs> I'm so sick of Hollywood always making that damn story. <laughs> I'm so sick of meeting beautiful women on trains and then it turns it out that they're ghosts. A fucking ghosts every time. This is the fifth time this week. That's why I refuse to use public transportation anymore. Yeah, that's, why, that's, why I stopped being a painter. that's why I quit being a painter. I, I can't take it anymore. 
Um, so this is an ooky spooky. This is okay. a, um, this was a story that was actually originally written by Charles Dickens um, in the late 1800s uh, about a man named H, just called H. Um, and then Charles later, Dickens be dicking around, man. Um, Gerard Hale was a real painter. And then later he was like, actually, I'm H. And then people were like, this story is from before you were born. And he's like, I'm H. <laughs> he's like, so the story itself is a ghost because I wasn't born yet. And so then that somehow became the version that ended up in this book. Okay. Um, so wow. I like the story. It's a cool story. You know? It's a fun story, right? I like it. But, but like, I mean, has anyone really fainted, though? I've never seen someone faint from shock. It's more like heat exhaustion. <laughs> when I, I got my nose pierced, uh, the piercer accidentally went through a blood vessel, so ugh. I bled a lot, and then I, I fainted. Well, that that makes sense, you know, <laughs> yeah, because you lost blood, you know. But like, you've, you, I've never seen something. I mean, like, and then just like falling over, just mm-hmm. just because you know it was it was the long lost uh, brother that I've been looking for for forty years or something. I, I mean, don't I don't I don't have a daughter who died many years ago that a man showed up my house and drew a perfect picture of her face like that's never happened to me so would i faint i don't know what would make you faint like in real life stuff what if you I, saw probably would make you faint like a, a gruesome accident yeah yeah like if i saw somebody's <laughs> yeah. bones coming through their skin uh, i might i might uh, faint I'd be like, no, nope <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> what about you Bo? what make you faint oh sorry i passed out there for a second <laughs> <laughs> talking about just fainting. Scared. Yeah, talking about fainting makes both faint. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot that. <laughs> all right, let's keep going. This next one's my favorite. The strangest of all detective cases took place on a beach in France in 1888. It began the day a businessman named Andre Monet and his wife arrived at the small French seaside town of Saint Adresse for a vacation. Late that night, Monet left his hotel to take a swim before going to bed. He never returned. Early the next morning, a boy discovered him lying on the bench, lying on the beach, dead of a bullet wound. Oh, I was saying French... eaten by bears. <laughs> no, he just got shot. <laughs> those those French bears, bears, you gotta watch those, out. Those French bears will get you. Hey, Bo, what does a French bear sound like when it's eating you? <laughs> oh, fuck. Don't do me like that, you know? I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> The, the French National Police sent Detective Robert Ledru to investigate. I guess his name would be Robert Ledru. Uh, oh. Oddly, but I'm just going to say Ledru because I'm a filthy American. Oddly, Ledru happened to be in Le Havre, uh, Le Havre, Le Havre, which was within... So- Le Havre. Oh my God. A lot I'm of, reading, lot of but I happening. lost the ability to read. Oddly, <laughs> Ledru happened to be in Le Havre, which was within walking distance of St. Address. LeDrew was selected to he go to the it. scene of the crime because of his reputation, not because he chanced to be nearby. Along. He was oh considered God, brilliant. Blanc. Not only was he the youngest detective on the police force, he was easily the most successful at solving mysteries. He was very he was trigger claimed, happy. He loves shooting people on park benches. <laughs> it was claimed that he could sniff a used but empty glass and identify the drink, and what? could look at a footprint and describe the person who made it. This his superiors could smell believed crime? him. <laughs> He knows. <laughs> knows. Uh. The scent of crime. Hey. So he was, he, was, he was good. He was good at it. Robert LeDrew was neither swift nor brilliant. He was patient and thorough. Far from solving mysteries at a glance, he worked slowly and carefully. He spent hours and even days at the scene of a crime, going over every foot of ground. He scarcely slept until he had checked out every clue, every alibi, every suspect. By dogged determination, he had built a dazzling record. 
That record was his lifeblood, and he did everything to further it. For example, he never admitted that he had toiled around the clock tracing the owner of a button. In his report, he wrote only that he had deduced who the owner was. To his superiors, he seemed the ideal man to send to the beach at St. Address, and he was. No one but Robert Ledru could have solved the murder of André Monet. But when the great detective arrived at St. Address, he could recover no leads. The murdered man had no known enemies. He had not been robbed. His only heir was his wife, and she had waited up for him in the hotel lobby in view of the night clerk until 2.30 a.m. Since the coroner had fixed the time of death at no later than 2 a.m., she was cleared. Ledru was making no progress. Worse, the many nights during which he had passed up sleep in order to work on his cases were catching up with him. He was, exa- he was exhausted and his nerves were strung taut. Oh, but how he longed for time to rest. How he would sleep. Peaceful sleep. Wait, he wait, had told so, so no one I am le- about... tired. <laughs> <laughs> I am the tired. <laughs> well, have a nap. He had told no one about his nightmares. Before he could rest, however, there was this new murder to solve. Night fell and still his efforts led him no closer to the killer. He resorted to his tried and tested tools, patience and painstaking thoroughness. He marked a large circle around the spot where the body had had lain. Lantern in hand, he examined every inch of sand in and near the circle. Near midnight, he found the clue, a footprint. It told him the identity of the murderer, and it, it took shook him, that him long to the to bone. find a fucking footprint. For the footprint was what he had been half, con- half consciously looking for all along and dreaded to find. The guilty man was someone he had known all his life. The struggle within Ledru was soul-wrenching. Should he turn the murderer in? Duty at last overcame every personal objection. After walking the beach for hours, Robert Ledru entered the St. Address police station. He had solved the case, he announced, and laid upon the desk a plaster cast of a footprint. It was of the left foot. The footprint unquestionably belonged to the murderer, the detective asserted. He had sneaked up behind the victim in stocking feet. As proof, Ledru pointed to the plaster cast. The first joint of the big toe was missing. Then he stooped and took off his own shoe. Oh, I fucking knew it, dude. Andrew, you called it. Gentlemen, he said quietly, I am the murderer. He lost the first joint of the big toe on his left foot while a boy. The nightmares in which he saw himself commit murder had come true. Robert Ledru was placed under arrest and eventually brought to trial. Respected doctors testified in his defense. Due to a rare mental condition, they stated, Robert LeDrew was dangerous only at night. During the day, he was perfectly sane. <laughs> Too much ambient. The words of the doctors, plus a masterly plea by his lawyer, saved LeDrew from execution. He was sentenced to life imprisonment. The sentence was carried out only in the hours between sunset and sunrise. During what? the daylight, he was, set, he was set free to go wherever he chose. That's Robert terrible. LeDrew died in his cell in 1939. For 51 years, he served his unique sentence, walking the streets during the day and returning at night to be locked up. That's stu- You should be locked up during all the time <laughs> for murder. Can you imagine catching dinner with some friends, you know, having a late night and you're like, oh, shoot, oh, ah, I, gotta I gotta get, get back to, jail, to prison. Guys. Oh, they're going to be mad if I'm late again. They're going to cut off my the other sun's going down. You don't want to see me when the sun goes down. Oh, I called that shit. Yeah, you yeah, did. Yeah, you Dang, did. Andrew. Yeah, but if I called it, that's probably not for real, for real. I'm going to say it is for real, for real. You had a lot of specific details that I feel like would be, I don't know. But what do you think? Oh, for real, for real. For real? For real. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, wow. I'm going big if true. Yeah, I'm changing my mind. Spooky, ooky. Spooky, <laughs> spooky. It was for real, for real. What? For real, for real. For real, you for real. You had a lot of details. So he yeah. killed a guy while ambient sleeping and then turned himself in. That's real. Yeah. 
and, and, and basically because his own murder well, because not his he own had murder, solved but... so many murders and was just a generally respectable person and because i mean he didn't do any other crimes when he was allowed to i'm sure yeah, that if he had done one. a crime during no, he the day didn't steal a hershey bar he fucking shot somebody now the thing that that what i i did looked a little bit more into it and the thing that proved to them that he was indeed a sleepwalk murderer is that um and only when he was sleeping is that while he was awake so they put him in a prison cell and they gave him a gun that was loaded with blanks and like he knew that it was loaded with blanks. Um, and then in the middle of the night, he sat up and took the gun and shot at the guard in the prison while he was still asleep. Yeah, maybe don't let that guy out ever. He's a sleep murderer. Yeah, He's like, crazy. Murderer. What, what if he takes a nap in the middle of the day and goes on a rampage? You're, like, are they, you're not allowed to sleep. Like they have somebody with him <laughs> like to slap him every time he like closes his eyes. Wow. That poor wife. Yeah. Like she's walking around town and like, that's the guy who murdered my husband. <laughs> Make sure you go to jail tonight. <laughs> it's a different town at least. So if he traveled, that, did he have to travel? To, like, he's like, Oh, I'm going to go visit. I'm going to go visit Germany for the weekend to see my family. He's like, call ahead. Be like, Hey, you any open jail cells for me? <laughs> I, he probably wasn't allowed to leave. No, I mean, he had to be back at the prison during at the night and he that's was a weird. principled man. Yeah. It was different back then. You know, Hmm. Demi, you live in a double life, you know. He's basically a normal manslaughter, guy. you know. And then just, you know, you, you take, take a little sleep and you murder. You know, it happened. Mm-hmm. I don't like Did, have, did you look into, like, what type of condition causes sleep murder? Sleep murder? <laughs> uh, Bo, I mean, what condition causes sleep murder? Oh, Bo's uh, a resident uh, oh, murder expert. Yeah, that's me. Hey, uh, just lack of sleep. What's the official condition <laughs> called, though? Oh, what's, um, what's the name of it? Sleep murder. <laughs> sleep slaughter i like sleep slaughter so like i guess maybe this one's halfway between a big if true and a for real for real i don't know but as far as i can tell it's a true story he solved his own murder the sleepwalk killer the the sleep french killer the french tired i don't know i got nothing that, you gotta think of like a like a urban dictionary like term that for it Le sleepy shooter. <laughs> but what is the sleepy shooter in the sexual sense? No, 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 no. <laughs> that, that was too self-explanatory. The, it's too self-explanatory. Urban, dictionary. It's low-hanging fruit. Dictionary. It's your. It's. That yeah, was we'll let this one slide. Feels like it's forced. <laughs> that's, you know? up, that's up. That's up to the imagination now. Yeah, that's yeah. in your head now, yeah. listener. Yeah. You you imagine what Le sleepy shooter does? I feel like everybody knows what it is. What is it? You know. No, that's why I'm asking you. <laughs> I, th- I think you know. I really don't. Uh, you I'm, know. I'm very you oblivious know. right now. Mm, well. You know. I guess you're just going to have to look it up on Urban Dictionary. I mean, it's a crime. Oh, got a crime. Sleepy shooter crime. <laughs> Zach, you got to take control of this. Shoot, okay, yeah, shoot, this has gone out of control. He shoots his loads in the night. We are at... There we go. There it is. <laughs> uh. Hey, but what does he sound like when he's shooting his loads in the night? Oh, Andrew, why do you want to hear that? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of French happening in this episode. We, 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 Okay, another Jonah. Do you guys know who Jonah is? My name is Jonah. <laughs> Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> the whale. The, yeah, is Jonah, it whale? Jonah and the whale. Did he? Okay, what did he do to the whale? Like, did he? Did he sleep shoot it? I, I, did he fight it? Like, I don't. Re- I honestly don't remember what this story he being, is. He was being tested by God. It's a Bible story. Oh God! Is it yeah. the, the devil? And then he was sinning or something. Yeah. Okay. He, yeah, he yeah, played yeah, cards, yeah, yeah, and yeah, then yeah. he then he had to fight he, a whale or something. He got eaten. 
Yeah, and technically, it wasn't, and technically it was it wasn't fine. by a whale. It was by a Leviathan or something like that. I don't remember. I uh, It's been a while since I was in Sunday school. But the point of the fact is that this story is called Another Jonah. And it starts with, there she blows. The whaling ship Star of the East was plowing <laughs> through the South a lot Atlantic. Last few episodes. Yeah. I, Zach's been on a real nautical kick. Yeah. yeah, a lot of good stories to be told about whaling ships. Uh, the whaling about ship, ships in general. Yeah, a lot of Dude, weird oh, shit happens at sea. A lot of potential of ships, for shit to go bonkers. We went to, we, we do trivia every Monday night at a, at a bar out here. And we went uh, a few weeks ago. I guess the guy who's running it, he was in the Navy. So he's like, hey guys, we're going to do an all ship themed one. Sounds Dude, great. No. Two groups really got up anything. and left halfway through. That's how bad it was. Everyone did <laughs> so bad. We got like three questions right and we were in the top three out of six. I feel like I would have been, I feel like I would have been able to hold my own. It was awful. Yeah, you probably could. You definitely, you, you definitely like if we could have had a guest <laughs> quiz people. Oh yeah, I remember for, you were telling for, me about this, this and you were like, do you know the name of the ship in the, in Alien? And I was like, yeah, the Nostromo. Oh yeah. <laughs> the whaling ship Star of the East was plowing through the South Atlantic off the Falkland Islands when the cry lifted. Ahead loomed the spout of a sperm whale and, as yet unseen, the most singular of sea miracles since biblical times. Sails were sperm set whale? on this. Yes, a sperm whale. Famously, do not have sperm in their heads. Learn that. Spermacetti. Spermacetti. I shouted to Justin. Sails were set on the square rigger and pursuit began. In half an hour, the Star of the East closed to striking range. Immediately, a pair of 25-foot boats were launched. When the lead boat reached within a few yards of the whale, the harpooner aimed the newfangled spear gun. The point sank home in the blubbery side. The Nantucket whale... sleigh ride. Yeah, buddy. The whale Let's thrashed go. in pain. 60 feet of sea monster, weighing a ton of foot, rolled and twisted, its powerful tail slamming the ocean. The violent churning lifted the second boat and flipped her over, tossing the crew into the water. Terrified, they clung to the overturned hull till the whale was killed and they could be rescued. All were accounted for, save two. One of the missing men was known to have drowned. The other was James Bartley, 21, an English sailor making his first voyage aboard the Star of the East. Captain Wetterman first time? entered no, the name. first time. Terrible first time. Terrible, Captain yeah, Wetterman bad, bad entered the It's names. like that coffin guy who was like, it's my first time here. And they're like, shoot him. <laughs> entered the names of both men dutifully in the log. And after each name wrote drowned during the frenzy of the accident, no one could be sure just when or how James Bartley had disappeared. The matter of the unfortunate seaman was quickly laid aside for there was urgent work to do. The whale was tied to the ship using rail using razor sharp flensing blades, flensing spades, the men sliced and peeled the heavy blubber. At, Chimneys of fire! Hey. At midnight, work stopped. The exhausted men went below and slept till dawn when they rose and returned to their work. The stomach was hoisted onto the deck. Inside was a large lump. The men thought at first that the lump was ambergris, a waxy substance found in whales and used in making the finest perfumes. They were startled to see the lump move. Slow movements, like breathing. Captain Wetterman was summoned, and he looked on as a long cut was made in the tissue. A shoe appeared and an ankle. Inside the whale's stomach was They're the like, missing I sailor what that's James Bartley. To. Uh, hey, Captain, what the fuck? <laughs> Doubled up and unconscious, but alive. Okay, he bore so only one hold on, hold on, hold on. Of his ordeal. You got pause right there. They took a break and they went to sleep, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And this guy survived an entire night without oxygen inside of a tummy. Maybe. He bore only one outward sign of his ordeal. His skin was pasty white from the whale's digestive juices. 
A bath from a few buckets of icy seawater revived his body, but not his reason. He let out a howl, staggered blindly, struck the railing, and collapsed. He He's was a werewolf carried... now. <laughs> He's a werewolf. He's a were whale. A whale. Whale. Were whale. Were whale. He was carried to the captain's quarters. For two weeks, he lay strapped to the bunk, a raving lunatic. Gradually, what? he recovered his senses. After a month, he resumed work. You know, when you get eaten by a whale, you go crazy. Like, if, if you get eaten by a whale, immediate crazy. Mm-hmm. Not, not even a question. And they, then you got to go back to work. And this is <laughs> like, he's, he gets swallowed by a whale. He gets a month to be crazy. And then he has to he go back to work. At the moon. He doesn't even get to, like, <laughs> sit, stand on, like, be on land. There's nothing they in between. It's they whaling, didn't give him any sperm by whale, Back to whaling. Yeah. Just hard tack. I, I call bullshit. This is, this is, you can't, well, an entire night. Bartley described his feelings on that horrible day in February 1891 to Captain Wetterman and later to a board of inquiry of the British Admiralty. He remembered being hurled into the ocean. Suddenly he was surrounded by absolute darkness. He slid along a smooth passage that seemed to carry him forward. His hands touched a soft, slimy substance. He could breathe, but the heat was dreadful. A whale's blood is 104.6 degrees Fahrenheit. He recalled nothing more until he woke up in the captain's cabin. When the star of the east returned to port, James Bartley quit the sea. The modern Jonah lived 18 more years, which he spent as a cobbler in his native Gloucester. So what do you think? Ookie spooky, big if true, or uh, for real for real? Uh, I'm going to say uh, big if true. Big Big if if true, true, teetering on ookie spooky. I'm thinking there's a lot of a lot of uh, decisions are made in this story that were that were not true. But I mean, maybe some guy got eaten by a whale. But I don't I don't think that the time works out, nor the howl at the moon. Mm. Uh, it is a big if true. Uh, so yeah, big if true. There, uh, basically, we know your tricks. <laughs> um. So uh, essentially, yeah, it's pretty much impossible for somebody to survive overnight inside of the stomach of a whale because he would have suffocated. Um, and also he would have been crushed to death inside the first stomach of the sperm whale. Um, they have a four chambered stomach, which is fun. Yeah, they have a four chambered cool. stomach, uh, which the first has uh, no gastric juices. So he wouldn't have even been digested, um, but it has very thick muscular walls for crushing food. Um, ah. and to resist like the claws and suckers attack of a uh, squid that they eat. And the second chamber is where digestion takes place. So if he had just been swallowed, he wouldn't have been moved to the second chamber yet. Um, and he would have been stuck in the, and either way he would have been either crushed or suffocated. Um, the, the, the wife of the captain, um, had wrote a letter. So this was like a story that like happened, like was like effectively at the time the story was spread. I think like, yeah, it was first published in 1891, which is only a couple of years after it was supposed to have happened. Um, but the the wife of the captain wrote a letter to the newspaper saying that there's not one word of truth in the whale story. I was with my husband all the years he was in the Star of the East. <laughs> there was never a man lost overboard while my husband was in her. The sailor has told a great sea yarn. Um, so The sailor has told a great sea yarn? Yeah. You know, a yarn, like spinning a yarn. A yarn. Story. Yeah, that's funny. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's great. Yarr. <laughs> good job, Bo. Good, good. Even while watching football, you pulled that out. Good job. Thank you. Okay, so I think we've got time for one more. Nah, that's, that's it. it. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> what's the, what's um, the best one? Give, give, us, give us your favorite favorite as the, right. as the anchor, or the, the caboose, if you will. 
Well, this is just one that I think is really nice. Um, to the mysteries of the sky, add the case of the L8. The Since L8. The dawn of okay, hold on. Bo, let's, let's try to guess this. The mysteries of the sky. This is pretty vague. Yeah. He's mysterious. To, it was like the, num- the, 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 the number eight, L8. Uh, I'm going to go yes, UFOs L8. or UAPs, whatever you want to call them. I'm, I'm thinking it's going that direction. Um, yeah, me too. I, I immediately was thinking eight lights in the sky. It's aliens. Mole people. Mole people. Mole, we're going mole over, people. We're going well, underground. French mole people. Oh, 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 mole, 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 mole. <laughs> <laughs> I am le digging. I'm on the ground. I cannot see. Oh. <laughs> and just like that, Since we lost the... all our French listeners. Sorry, yeah, everyone in France. <laughs> and the weird people in Canada. So, hey, 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 you can make fun of us. It's easy. Just call us yeah. fat and sweaty. It's fine. Yeah. Burger yeah. Town. Yeah, why don't you do that? Burger call's, Town. Call's... Burger Town USA, baby. Yeah, call us fat and sweaty. See how people react to that. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Bo, you're skinny and so, so dry. You're so dehydrated. <laughs> you don't so sweat. Dry, you're, you're, you're always at risk of heat stroke. That's, That's how little them. you sweat. That's why they call me Sandpaper Bo. You're basically just a skeleton in the desert. Yeah. All right. Since the dawn of aviation, aircraft have flown into the clouds, never to be seen again. The L-8 disappeared into the clouds, all right. Thereafter, her story is like no other. She reappeared and eventually came to Earth without her crew. During World War II, the L-8, a Navy blimp, patrolled the California coast near San Francisco. At 6 a.m., August 16th, 1942, she took off from the Treasure Island Naval Base on a routine flight. Aboard was her two-man crew, Lieutenant Ernest D. Cody and Ensign Charles F. Adams of Airship Squadron 32. The day was overcast. A light rain fell intermittently. Almost two hours later, Lieutenant Cody radioed the control tower at the base. I'm investigating large oil slick. He gave his position as five miles east of the Farallon Islands. The message aroused no concern. Oil slicks were common and did not necessarily mean that an enemy submarine lurked underwater. Two fishing craft and two patrol boats, one Navy and the other Coast Guard, were near the oil slick when the blimp began circling at a height of 300 feet. The fishing boats hurried to a respectful distance in case the L-8 dropped depth bombs. Bombs were not dropped. Instead, the L-8 suddenly soared into the clouds. The men on the four ships watched her disappear. They did not see her again. Some 15 minutes had passed since the tower had received Lieutenant Cody's radio message. At 8.05 a.m., an attempt was made to contact the blimp. The L-8 did not reply. Immediately, two OS-2U Kingfisher search planes flew to investigate. At 10.30 a.m., a Pan American Airways clipper reported the blimp south of the Golden Gate Bridge. At 10.40 a.m., one of the Kingfishers sighted her as she rose briefly above the clouds. Moments later, viewers at Fort Funston saw her wander from the ocean and strike the beach a mile away. A pair From of surf fishermen, like out of the ocean. Well, no, because no, like like above the ocean. Okay, just from like from like the area out of the, the clouds ocean. above yeah, yeah, the okay, ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just want to clarify. And strike the beach a mile away. A pair of surf fishermen tried to grab the loose lines and tie her down. They noticed the gondola door was open. No one was inside. A gust of wind tore the airship from their hands. The L eight struck a cliff near the beach and one of the depth bombs fell alongside the highway unexploded lightened the blimp sailed off at 11:15 a.m. her helium bag leaking she landed on a street in Daly City south of San Francisco i used to live in Daly City oh my god that's what I meant navy experts examined the wreck they found nothing amiss in the gondola 
rubber life raft, parachutes, and documents were in place. The radio was turned on, but the battery had run down. The throttle to one motor was wide open, the other half open. Missing were the two airmen and the bright yellow life jackets they were required to wear when over water. The landing space below the deck of the gondola, which contained control wires, was dry. From this, the experts reasoned that the blimp had not touched down on the ocean. Had Cody and Adams fallen while circling above the oil slick? The loss of their weight might explain the blimp's sudden zoom into the clouds. But then, surely their falling bodies or the splashes would have been seen by the men on the four boats nearby. Even if the two officers had been knocked loose from their life jackets upon hitting the surface, the jackets themselves should have been found floating. And would not the bodies of Cody and Adams have eventually washed ashore? At a naval hearing, witnesses from the four boats said they had seen neither splashes nor men falling. A full-scale search failed to find a trace of the life jackets or the missing airmen. Only this much is known. Whatever happened to Cody and Adams took place in the last 15 minutes between their last radio message and the unsuccessful attempt by the tower to contact them. During those 15 minutes, the L-8 was either circling the oil slick or hidden from sight in the clouds. Isn't that spooky? They disappeared. Spooky! No. That, I know where they're at. They're underground. Yeah, they're where under, are they? They're underground. The mole people got them. <laughs> the, the mole, mole people. people blimp. You know, a classic mole people blimp scenario. It's, mm-hmm. it's in every Hollywood trope, you know. People don't belong in the sky. They belong underground. <laughs> uh, I want to say I'm big if true. That's it's, it's, I'm going big if true. I'm going to say for real, for real, because there was a lot of very, again, specific details. Yeah. Yeah. So this was this was a for real, for real. This wow. is the thing that actually happened. And nobody knows what happened to the two men still to this day. Isn't that spooky? Something tells so me spooky. that they, um, an artist was commissioned to paint them later, and then uh, a guy who owned a blimp business uh, was shown the photo and he fainted. <laughs> I think that it malfunctioned and it rocketed into the sky, and then they passed out because of the altitude and fell out. Mm. The 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 predominant theory is that they went. One of them went uh, leaned out from the leaned out to like drop a uh to a drop yeah to drop a deuce to drop a flare at the <laughs> oil slick or a smoke marker and they dropped the rear hatch and then slipped and shouted for assistance and the other one went to help and then they both fell out at the same time um Classic. but then why were they so that's now, a, it's, the it's a db cooper this, scenario yeah the reason why i wanted to tell this one is i think that there's kind of a funny ending to this in that the L-8 was repaired and returned to service. After really? the war, the airship was sold back to uh, was sold back to the Goodyear Company and was renamed the America and spent uh, 40, almost name. 40 years flying over sporting events as part of Goodyear's blimp fleet. Oh did my I, god, people died in there! <laughs> did anyone people fall out? People died in there. Like after, did anyone fall out after? But it was retired in 1982. That's such a lazy name for a blimp. America? Like, that's really? You couldn't name it anything else. There's like, the America. Like, boo. Call it Blimpy McBlimpface or something. Or like, like, Chunky Skyboy. All you do is hate. What would you name a blimp, Bo? If if someone walked up to you and was like, hey, here's my blimp, but I don't have a name, you do it right now. Oh, uh, Bo. (laughs) (laughs) Bo Limp. Bo Limp. Bo Limp. Bo Limp. Bo Limp. Bo Limp. 
Okay, there's one more story I wanted to. I forgot that I wanted to read. Oh, we're uh, because we're, there's a we're way. There's oh a, my god, we're way over I found on time. A, and I just there's like, a fun supplemental fact here. Well, if we're, well, we're most, going a lot of my time this morning or this morning, the beginning of this podcast was me. So Zach still has time. Uh, All right, so give me one. Let me uh, one more, and that'll be it. It's the called the girl who more. fell six miles. Don't you the want girl to hear who about fell the girl six who miles? Fell six miles. Okay, this story is about a girl who fell. Yeah. And she stumbled, but she never fell over all the way. She was just doing that stumbling thing where you're catching yourself <laughs> for six whole miles. She kept like, until she saw trip. something scary and then she fainted. <laughs> she kept trying to trip, but she kept picking herself back up. And she's like, yeah, oh, she's like, oh, 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 she's like, whoa. She's flaying her arms over there, like, oh, go. Like, she, she went, she stumbled past a Frenchman who was like, oh, oh, you're going to fall for six more miles. <laughs> and the old people grabbed her and it was all over. Ah, classic. Okay. Girl <laughs> fell six miles. The explosion ripped the air high above the Bohemian rap Bohemian rap. Oh my god, I can't believe it. Is this so real? <laughs> the Bohemian mountain region of northern Czechoslovakia. Villagers looked up in alarm. They could make out a jet airliner six miles above them, but not the raw hole blown in its luggage compartment. The plane, a Yugoslav DC nine on a regular flight from Stockholm and Copenhagen to Zagreb and Belgrade. Flew on for a few seconds before other explosions tore it apart. A horrifying Jesus. rain of wreckage and bodies hurtled down. Twisted steel and victims were scattered over miles of the forested countryside. The tail section plunged into a snowy wooden slope. A game warden named Henke reached the spot first. Nothing, he reasoned, could have survived the crash. He saw several or bodies. Then, they? to his astonishment, he heard a feeble moan. Lying in the snow was a blonde girl in a dark uniform. She was Vesna Volovic. 23, a stewardess. Penka wisely made no attempt to move her. He covered her unconscious form with his coat and hurried for help. An ambulance rushed her to the hospital, where she underwent a three-hour operation. Dr. Miloslav Randa was the service the surgeon. Vesna regained consciousness briefly. She was able to speak her name and give the number of her flight. The following day, she recognized her mother, who had come from Belgrade. With Mrs. Volovich was Dr. Dragoslav Adamovich. He conferred with Dr. Ronda. The two surgeons decided to transfer Vesna to Prague by helicopter for neurosurgery. In Prague, specialists removed a piece of vertebra that was pressing on Vesna's spinal cord. The operation succeeded, and slowly Vesna recovered, but she could remember nothing of falling 32,000 feet. The terrible seconds of January 26, 1972 were a blank. Doctors considered this lapse in her memory a blessing. The shock of recall might have affected her mind. Now, the thing I'm thinking about here is this is January 1972. This book was published in March 1973. What kind of turnaround time was this book made on? Things were just done quicker back in the day. That was, that was, a, that was a quick one. They're like, yeah, I got to get this thing in here. <laughs> investigators studied the wreckage as well as voice and flight records. The evidence was clear. The first explosion had been caused by a time bomb hidden in the luggage compartment. Instruments registered an explosion during a conversation between the pilot and a stewardess. Up to that moment, everything in the jetliner had been working normally. Unanswered was the question of how Vesna Volovich had lived when everyone else aboard, all 22 passengers and, other, and the crew of four, was killed. What had taken the lives of many of the passengers was the sudden loss of air pressure inside the cabin. They had died strapped to their seats. Vesna's survival is a matter of guesswork, assisted by something as she muttered after her spinal operation. She mentioned oxygen masks and fretted at not being able to help anyone. Fitting her remarks into the known facts, investigators put together the chain of events surrounding Vesna's miraculous escape from death. The explosion occurred when the passengers were due to be served a meal. Consequently, Vesna was on her, seat, on her feet. 
During the ghastly moments of flight between the first explosion and the breakup of the crippled plane, the passengers screamed for breath. Vesna scrambled for the oxygen masks. Masks were found near where she and the tail section came to earth. As she tried one on, the tail section broke off. The pretty stewardess was thrown into a corner and knocked unconscious. Her physical system Why was thus slowed. Why did you have to note that she's pretty? I don't know. David? It was the, it, it was the book. Like the, uh, remember how we talked about in the D.B. Cooper episode? In the 70s, uh, stewardesses and, and um, flight attendants, they were very heavily sexualized. So if this was written then, like she, like, they, they didn't hire ugly people. But. No. <laughs> she was thrown to a corner, knocked unconscious. Her physical system was thus slowed and she was relaxed during the fall. With Vesna inside... The tail section struck a pine-covered hillside. The treetops cushioned the impact. Vesna was hurled clear and slid down the hill, further reducing the impact. She had come through explosions, decompression, the fall, and the crash, and lived. The name of Vesna Vulovich, the girl who fell six miles, is imprinted upon medical history as one of the greatest examples of the durability of the human body. Wow. I, yeah. I, I think I actually know this one. This is for real, for real, right? Yeah, me too. I've heard this before. Yeah, this is for real, for real. Uh, Vesna Vulovich. Uh, she died in 2016. Uh, um, she survived. Uh, it, was a, it was a plane crash. Actually, she uh, she fell from 12 miles. Poor enough for Vesna, though. Knocked it. Knocked. Yeah, poor enough for Vesna. She um, suffered from mobility problems for the rest of her life. Uh, Obviously, you know, so. <laughs> from the fall. <laughs> she still holds the Guinness record for the highest fall survived by a person. I'll beat that record. <laughs> oh, do it. Let's see it. Uh, and Justin becomes a permanent member of the podcast. <laughs> well, more accurately, she survived the highest fall without a parachute because there's that guy who fell from like, who did that the like Red Bull thing, right? But yeah, the highest he, fall he, had, he had a parachute. parachute. So she, she just raw dogged it. Uh, respect. Yeah, I mean, she didn't respect. She, she didn't do it on purpose, but you know. And this is one of the ones where the details are actually less impressive because she didn't fall six miles. She fell 6.3 miles. And six of, miles is just a good round number, you know. The yeah. girl who fell six point three miles doesn't have the same ring to it. When I was um read uh, reading up about Vesna, one of the one of the reasons, like one of the other explanations that was given for how she survived the fall, is that um what should have happened is that her heart should have exploded uh by like Whoa. the the impact force, uh but she had chronic low blood pressure, like to like problematically low blood pressure interesting and to pass her physical to become like a flight attendant she drank a shitload of coffee <laughs> <laughs> to super jack up her blood pressure wow and i think that's great what a confluence of factors yeah kind of a perfect storm type of situation um i've read a couple of other stories of people who fell um, and usually there are people who fell. There's a couple of other people who fell out of planes and survived, which is just completely insane to me that that has happened. Another one of them was uh, a woman who was, um, her parents were, she was like German Peruvian and she fell out of a plane and landed in the Amazon and had to survive in the Amazon while also dealing with the fact that she was the only survivor of a plane. She fell out of a fucking plane. Um, I think hardcore. that's hardcore as well. Her name was Julian Kipke. Uh, she had to hike 11 days through the rainforest to safety. But she only fell from 10,000 feet, whereas Vesna fell from 33,000 feet. So No Guinness 
book of world records for you. Yeah, that's baby time. <laughs> I like that. that. That story, I remember hearing about it a long time ago. It was probably in the 70s before I was born. <laughs> yeah. There's a couple, like, there's a bunch of other great stories in this book. There's one about a guy who saw a spooky man carrying a coffin, uh, who ugly and made a spooky face at him. And then years later, he saw the same spooky man elevator and he was like, I'm not going in the elevator with that spooky man. And he didn't go in the elevator and then the elevator crashed and killed everyone inside it. No, oh, oh, so spooky. Um, spooky. And that's fun. That's pretty good. There's another strange, but yeah, it was an ooky spooky. Like the guy who told the story was a real person. But he just said, but he, it was the same thing as with the, um, the, the girl on the train where it was like a, like a ghost story at the time. And he was like, actually, it was about me. <laughs> okay. Um, and then there's another really good one. Right. Uh, there's another really good one about Clock a guy chasers. who painted, he painted, um, he painted a guy painting a ghost on the train. Ooh, no, he, he did a quarter mile long painting of the Mississippi river in the 1800s. And it was like a, this big national craze and like basically put on rollers and like um, they showed like it was it was big, put on rollers and like kind of like scrolled in like a theater while everyone was like, wow, look at how big this painting was. And it took like three hours to see the whole thing. And it was wow, a quarter mile long. That's painting. a really big painting. Holy yeah, shit. It took him six years to do. Um, that's fucking nuts. The the another guy copied him. And he's more famous because his painting survived, uh, but his painting was only 348 feet long. Um, meanwhile, this guy's painting was, uh, after he stopped showing it, the painting was cut up and used as opera backgrounds. And then when those wore out, they, oh. it was shredded and used as home insulation. Oh, oh come on. That's... I want to see the big painting. I that, like, home yeah. insulation, like, if the homes are worth more now because it has a famous painting inside of it. <laughs> it's got a big old painting in there. They can't it see it, but it's it. in there. So that was a guy. Named... Remember how Zach was like, oh, OK, yeah, I'll just do one more, except for I'm going to make sure that I read all of them. I'm not reading it. I'm just telling you what they were about. That's why I checked out a while ago. He said one more and he kept going. You said you done? Are you done? I'm done. I'm done. OK, it's great. Is it? I hope I hope ever. Uh, what was your favorite thing that you learned? My favorite thing that I learned. Well, no, I'm what was your favorite thing that you learned, Bo? The whale. What about what about the whale? Yeah, they he just loves he, whales. I just love whales, man. <laughs> like being inside a whale. Yeah, that person wasn't inside a whale. You stupid motherfucker! Come on now. I didn't know that sperm whales had four chambered stomachs. Now, if yeah, I, that's pretty cool, right? If I was in the sperm whale, I'd make sure it lived to its name. Dropping low to the sperm. <laughs> so you get swallowed oh, by the whale and make sure you're jerking off on the way down. Well, no, 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 no. I'd make sure sperm whales feel bad for the whale. Actually, have sperm. <laughs> Bo did, as he was getting swallowed by the whale, Kinda. he did La French Chuter or whatever <laughs> on the way in. God. <laughs> I forgot what we said. Cut that out. It was All like right. the silent. Andrew, no, which, silent. which story we'll was never, your favorite? Andrew. I'll never cut that out. I really like the story of the guy on the train who did who who painted the dead girl and then the lady fainted. That's a good story. Obviously, it wasn't mm -hmm. true, but you know, that's cool. Um, my favorite real story was definitely the lady who fell out of the plane and and survived just because she had the lowest heart rate imaginable that's fucking not the guy that solved the murder that he did i you know when he was asleep i i, I hate Andrew, that Andrew guy hates that one i hate that guy <laughs> i hate You're that they hater, still Andrew. allowed him to just walk like to walk around in the daytime be like there's the murderer he only does it when he's sleeping though he's, he's only like, dangerous you. at night like a vampire 
That's what he he's, is. Yeah, exactly. That's essentially is like he's he's a werewolf, <laughs> just not the wolf part. He's just an asshole. Mm-hmm. It's kind of interesting, but also fuck that guy. Learn how to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I had something out of the top. Anyway, this Andrew, you took us in. Oh, oh yeah. Sorry, Bo. Uh, uh, Bo was, yeah. What do you got? What do you got? That's it. I'm done. So that was that was. Strange but true. Twenty-two Amazing Tales, copyright nineteen seventy-three. If you are from the Scholastic Publishing Company and listening to this, um, I did not copyright violate your your book because reading reading books is allowed. Um, <laughs> so I have my reading yeah. license. I can read yeah, anytime so. I want. Exactly. All right, now Andrew, take us out. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, you there! Thanks for listening to the podcast. You're welcome. I hope you had yeah. I hope you had a good time. I know Bo did, and I hope you enjoyed not only the podcast itself and all of Zach's zany, crazy, wacky, kooky, spooky, big if true for real for real stories, but also the little little country ditty we had at the beginning as well. So that was great. Until then, I loved that. <laughs> I went a little too hard on it, honestly. Did you though? I I don't know. Send I us did. an email at getdumpedon at gmail dot com and tell us it. if Andrew overdid it with yeah. the. Uh, with the music or Definitely. if you liked it and tell me which of the stories was your favorite because yeah i this book was really important to me growing up i read it so much that it is falling apart it's literally falling apart it's literally if falling you don't apart. want to email you can send us a message uh get dumped on pod on instagram thank you for following yeah. me yes i appreciate absolutely. it absolutely and again shout out yeah. to our listeners we love you very much we appreciate you thank you for listening until then hey, we'll see listening. you next week Every Wednesday, Humpty Dumpty coming at you. Humpty Expect the regular Dumpty. song to be back because I'm not doing another one for a while. You should do another one. All right. <laughs> make it a weekly thing now. I want I want a weekly song every week now. Oh, you said it Bo's, only takes Bo's you rebuttal. 30 minutes. Oh, yeah, Bo's rebuttal out. song needs to come out. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. It's coming. We're having a rap battle, but country battle. <laughs> I hate it. All right. See you guys later. Oh. Bye. Okay, bye. bye.
other boot and every dump. Because without dumps, let me tell you, we'd be all bricked up inside. Get dumped on, listen to Zach say